Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Calling All Cars, a copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Calling all cars, attention all cars, attention all Maricopa County Sheriff's cars, broadcast 139, guarding a man wanted for murder, Ben Knight, last seen headed for California in a 1925 Studebaker, accompanied by two young girls and a woman, that's all. in tonight's case starts in Maricopa County, Arizona, and then jumps to Los Angeles. Investigators from the Rio Grande Oil Company, while talking with the officers of the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, were proud to hear this statement from the Arizona officials. Your radio program, Calling All Cars, is a powerful influence for good. We know that it explains police work to the people of Arizona is getting us a lot of cooperation with citizens. It's only fair to tell you that your gasoline is just as good as your broadcast. That's obvious, or we wouldn't have renewed our contract to use Rio Grande crack gasoline exclusively for another year. In our work covering the many miles of Arizona mountain and desert roads, gasoline is mighty important. We never yet found any gasoline to equal Rio Grande crack. We get more miles to the gallon, and that's not talk. I reckon prove it. But even more important, we get better all-round performance. All the speed and power and quicker starts that emergency cars must have. And then, from the Los Angeles officers who worked on tonight's case, we heard the other side of the story. You can tell the world that we think Rio Grande cracked gasoline tops them all. Every emergency car in Los Angeles is powered with this gasoline. We've got to have the most powerful and fastest gasoline made. And for years... We've never found any brand any better than Rio Grande Crack. And that's the kind of reception our Rio Grande crime investigators get wherever they go to gather material for calling all cars. Everywhere it is sold, Rio Grande Cracked gasoline with tetraethyl is now powering more police and emergency cars than any other brand. We ask you to try Rio Grande Cracked in your car so that you, too, can enjoy police car performance. <laughs> Now it is our pleasure to present Sheriff James McFadden of Maricopa County, Arizona. Sheriff McFadden. Good evening. The case you're about to hear is one of the most recent and most bloody crimes we've had to solve in Maricopa County. To my mind, it is an excellent example of the absolute necessity for cooperation between law enforcement agencies. The days when a sheriff was called upon to keep the peace only within the confines of his own county have long since gone. With high-speed transportation at hand, the criminal's first thought is to get as far away from the scene of his crime as possible. You will hear in tonight's broadcast how efficiently a sheriff's office 400 miles away, an office which might have had every reason to be disinterested in the apprehension of a fugitive from Maricopa, worked to bring about that fugitive's apprehension. Far beyond the routine duty of arresting and holding the men of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Office questioned and cross-questioned the suspect and presented us with a typewritten transcript of the questioning to bring back to Phoenix with our man. 
It is cooperation like this that will, when it is nationwide, eventually convince the criminal that crime does not pay. December 29th, 1935. Two men are walking along the bank of the Salt River near Coldwater, Arizona. One wears the Levi's, wide hat, and high-heeled boots of a rancher. The other, the jodhers of an Easterner. Now, the river here is the north line of the property, Mr. Sternhope, and it extends south further than you can see. Ah, but it's so barren. I'm looking for an investment out here. I want to get a return from my well, Look down in the valley there. See that wide patch of green? Yes. And that's lettuce. And over there, that white section, that's cotton. This land will grow anything, Mr. Stanhope, anything. Well, this property of yours apparently hasn't grown anything but cactus and sagebrush. I never irrigated it. I've been running cattle on it. But all you need to do, like the Bible says, to make the desert bloom like a rose is... Dig yourself an irrigation ditch and run some of the salt river through your land. Well, I, that... I don't know. It, it's very discouraging. Oh, oh. Uh, what's the trouble? <laughs> I nearly fell over that sack there. Uh, oh, that's one of the sacks the cotton pickers use. It looks like it fell off a truck. Hey, just a minute, Mr. Stanhope. I'll show you what sort of stuff you can grow on this land. Uh, you know anything about cotton? Oh, a little. Wait uh, uh, till I get the second part. Now, I'll show you the longest staple of cotton this side of the Swiney River. <laughs> there we are. Now, now, let's just look here. What, what is it? Lover. My God, what is it? A dead body beaten to a pulp. <laughs> Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Sheriff McFadden speaking. See, Sheriff, I just found a dead body tied up in a sack down here near cold water. So that's all we know, Sheriff. Mr. Stanhope just stumbled over him. Either of you recognize him? Never saw him before. I'm visiting from the East, Sheriff, and naturally Any I... marks of identification, Alan? No, sir, not a thing. No longer marks, nothing in his pocket. There's always fingerprints. Call the coroner and ransack this place for the murder weapon. Yes, sir. But apparently there is not a single clue. A posse of deputies is unable to locate even the scene of the crime. The fingerprints of the victim are sent to Washington for identification, and the first development in the case comes back to Sheriff McFadden by telegraph. Fingerprints unknown, murder victim identical, J.C. Cobb, alias J.C. Costello. Number 45742, received state penitentiary, San Quentin, California, July 1928. Second degree burglary, one to 15 years. J. Edgar Hoover, Bureau of Criminal Investigation, Washington. But this identification is of little help in an agricultural county where migratory workers come and go with the seasonal crops. Another week goes by while deputies search for the crime scene. For information about calls, they find nothing. Then one evening, ten days after the body was discovered, two cotton pickers are trudging along the riverbank toward the ranch when... Let's cut across here through the brush, Ben. Too far around the room. Uh-uh. I don't want to step on no rattlesnakes. What you talking about? There ain't no rattlesnakes out this time of year. Well, there might be. Oh, you're nuts. Go on. You cut across. I'll take a roll. <laughs> hey, Ben. What? Come here a minute. Look what I found. What, a rattlesnake? No. Worse than that. Look. Blood. Yeah, all over the ground. And look at this. 
What did you say? It's a wrench with blood on it. Hey, we better tell the sheriff about this. Calling car five. Maricopa County Sheriff's Office calling car five. Go to the Rio Grande gasoline station in Coldwater and pick up two men. Go to the Rio Grande gasoline station in Coldwater and pick up two men. There they are, Ben. Boy, didn't take them long to get here. You the boys we were to meet? Yeah. What's the trouble? Well, we found a place down the road a piece where there was blood all over the ground. And, and, and we found this ranch. It's got blood on it. Yeah. So we called the sheriff. And he told us to wait here for you. Well, hop in and show us where the place is. Here we are. Hmm. Somebody sure took a beating here, no mistake. Yeah, through the way these branches are broken on the Palo Verde. And you can see here where the body was dragged to the road. Uh, looks like this is what we've been looking for for ten days. Uh, listen, boys, do either of you know J.C. Kolb? Chuck Kolb? Sure. Hey, he used to work in the fields with him. How long ago? Oh, up until a week or so before Christmas. Then he didn't come around no more. We figured he drifted on to California. Did he hang around with anyone in particular? Yeah. Him and Ben Knight was pretty chummy. Where's Ben Knight? Does he work here? No, Ben went away, too. When? About the same time Chuck did. I think it'd be worthwhile to talk tonight, Jack. I agree with you. Come on, boys. Uh, Where do you want us to go now? To the morgue to identify a body. After the two ranch hands have positively identified the body of the murder victim as J.C. Cobb, they are led into the Sheriff McFadden's office where Alan and Bazard make a complete report of their findings. The sheriff takes over the question. Either of you boys have any idea where this uh, Ben Knight was from? Yeah. I think he was from Oklahoma. From Shawnee, Oklahoma. Shawnee, Oklahoma. Where did he live while he was working on that ranch with you? It was uh, out to the Giant Cactus Autocourt. Yeah, him and the wife and kids, they all lived out in the Autocourt. Giant Cactus Autocourt. Alan, you and Bazard better get out there. I'm going to get in touch with the sheriff of Shawnee, Oklahoma, for a check on night. You the owner of this camp? Yep. Cleanest auto camp in Arizona, bar none. Yeah, it looks fine. But we're not here to rent a place. I'm Deputy Sheriff Bazard, and this is my partner, Deputy Allen. We're looking for a fellow named Knight. You know him? Ben... Oh, sure. He was here for some time. Was? You mean he's not here now? No, no. He and the whole kitten caboodle of them moved out uh, here last week. When last week? Well, it was about the uh, 28th, I think. Yeah, the 28th. Did he say where he was going? No, not exactly, didn't he? Said something about uh, going into Phoenix and uh, then something about California. That's about all. Did you notice anything unusual about night when you last saw him? Did he seem excited or anything? I don't know that he's any different than usual. Seemed to be in kind of a hurry to get out of here, but then that didn't mean anything. He is that kind of a person. He's always on the go. But he did seem in more of a hurry than usual when he left here. Little, I guess. Did you happen to know whether his friend Cobb was with him? No, don't don't think he was. I hadn't seen him around at all that day. I guess maybe he went into Phoenix or somewhere. He was always getting ideas about going somewhere. <laughs> Upon further investigation, it is learned from people at the camp that Knight, his wife, and two children left in the Studebaker sedan belonging to Kolb, that Kolb was not with them at the time. 
A complete description, both of the car and of the wanted man, is phoned to the Los Angeles Sheriff's Homicide Detail, and a request for aid in locating the wanted knight. And a couple of days later, Sheriff McFadden calls Allen and Bazard into his office. Well, boys, we've just about broken this cow murder. Yeah? How's that, Sheriff? I just got this from the Sheriff at Mizpah. Postcard from Knight addressed to his brother who lives there. He gives his address as Venice, California, 722 Sunset Boulevard. I've called Gene Biscalouse and asked him to pick up Knight. And I want you boys to start for Los Angeles right away. Deputies Allen and Bizarre roar across the desert to Los Angeles and are met by Deputy Sheriffs Marshal Zeno and P.M. Cuno of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Office. Promptly pick up Ben Knight's trail, arrest him, take him for questioning. Knight denies everything. That's the trouble with trying to do a favor for a guy. All you get out of it's grief. What do you mean, Knight? Helping someone. Who did you help do what? This fellow you're trying to tell me I killed, that's who. You mean Cobb? Yeah, Cobb. He asked me to do him a favor, and I'd do it. And now look. Here I am hauled into jail and told I'm a killer. Well, suppose you tell us just what you mean by doing him a favor, Knight. Sure. Sure, I'll tell you. Then you'll see what I mean, all right. We was trying to find work out there in Arizona. And Chuck, he had this Studebaker, see? Yeah. Well, anyway, the day after Christmas, Chuck went out to a ranch somewhere to see the foreman. And I went over to a letter shed to see about getting a job. Well, when I come back from the shed, I find a guy waiting there to see me. Says he has a message from Chuck. Who was the man? I don't know. He was a stranger to me. So anyway, he tells me that Chuck won't be back, that he's in some kind of trouble, and that he wants me to drive his Studebaker to California and leave it at a certain address. And so you just take this stranger's word for it and pack up and leave, eh? Well, I... I was afraid not to. Afraid of what? This stranger, he... Uh, well, he threatened me, sort of. Hmm. Suppose you tell us about it. Well, he said I'd better do it and not ask questions or it'd make me wish I hadn't. And I didn't want no trouble, so I did like he said. Why did you kill Cobb, Knight? I didn't kill him. What did you use, a hammer or a wrench? I didn't use anything. I didn't kill him. That's your story and you're going to stick to it, eh? It's the truth. All right. Take him away, Sergeant. I want to talk to Mrs. Knight. <laughs> you to be very careful in what you say. I want you to answer my questions as truthfully as you know how. Understand? Yes, sir. Good. In the first place, why did your husband come to California? Did he tell you? Well, I don't know what he told you. That's all right. I want to know what he told you. He just said he was bring the car over here for Chuck. That's all. Did he say anything about Chuck having an accident? No, I don't think so. I see. Well, Mrs. Knight, didn't this sudden move strike you as strange? In a way, yes. But then we've been wanting to come to California for some time. Well, what prevented you from moving before, Mrs. Knight? Well, Ben had no car, but he wasn't good enough to make the trip. I reckon he was afraid it would break down before we got here. So the main idea was to get hold of a good car. Why, I reckon so. I don't rather know. Ben never told me very much what he was thinking. But you know that he wanted to come to California, that he needed a car to do it. That's right, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, I think that'll be enough for now, Mrs. Knight. Thank you. Repeatedly questioned by the Los Angeles officers and by the Arizona officers upon their arrival, Knight sticks to his thin story of why he drove Kalb's car to California. Wasting little time, deputies Allen and Bazard return their prisoner to Phoenix, where Sheriff McFadden is told the same vacillating tale. 
Ordering Knife to his cell, McFadden leaves him alone to think it over. After 36 hours of solitude, Knight sends word he wants to see the sheriff. A turnkey escorts him to McFadden's office, where... Well, Knight, ready to talk? I want to tell you what really happened. Good. I've been thinking it all over. Yeah, I thought you would. And I realize that it won't do me no good to lie about it. That's right. It was self-defense. And you admit that you killed Cobb? Yeah, but it was self-defense. He tried to kill me first. Why didn't you say that when you were in Los Angeles? I don't know. Only I was so scared I didn't know what to say. And then after I told you that story, I was afraid to back out. But now you're ready to tell the truth, eh? Yes, sir. It was self-defense. Chuck and I was out fooling around, and he suggested that we rob old Bradley's store and get some money that way. And I told him that I was no thief, and he called me a lot of things, and we got into a scrap. And you hit him with a wrench. He grabbed a big file and tried to hit me with it, and I got scared and hit him with a wrench I had in my hand. What are you doing with a wrench in your hand? We've been working on an old tractor that was there, trying to get a chain off of it, and I had the wrench still in my hand. All right. Go on. Well, when I hit him, he fell down, and... Then I got scared and tried to revive him. I got some water from the river and threw it on him, but he didn't move. So I figured I'd better get him out of sight until I could think. So you dragged him all the way to the riverbank, put him in a sack, and trussed him up, eh? Yes. Hmm. Why'd you go to all that trouble if it was self-defense, Knight? You could have told the authorities all about it. I was scared at what I'd done, I guess. Yeah, I can imagine. But I didn't hit him first. He hit me. So you hit him back, and then after he fell down, you hit him some more. Why'd you do that? I don't know. Well, I do. Because you didn't want him to live. Because you needed his car to get out here to California. Isn't that right, Knight? No, I didn't mean to kill him. It was an accident. Sure. Knight sticks to his story of self-defense. He's soon brought into the Maricopa County Superior Court, charged with the murder of Charles Cobb. Witnesses are brought before the jury, questioned and re-questioned. Attorney for the state, Wilmer, puts Knight on the stand and leads him through a long series of statements, but fails to arrive at any conclusive proof of guilt. And finally, after all the witnesses have been heard, after long weeks of endless court procedure, Attorney Wilmer stands before the jury and completes his summary. And you 12 good citizens are going to bring that verdict in. It's entirely upon your shoulders whether the perpetrator of this brutal, cold-blooded murder shall be set free to prey upon society or whether he shall pay the penalty he deserves. I have endeavored during the course of this trial to show you the discrepancies of the defendant's story. You have heard him change his statement several times. And now I have but one thing left to do. I want to show you, in my own words, what really happened on that fateful day when Ben Knight deliberately stalked his prey to a lonely spot in the desert with only one thought in his mind to kill it. As I see the picture of this crime... I see two men standing beside a tractor that lies unused and rusty in a small clearing. Not far away is a river. And as I see them, they are talking. I don't see any sense in this. Coming out here to this dump just to get a few parts of this tractor. What are we going to do with them when we got them? Uh, don't be so darn impatient, Chuck. We can sell this stuff in Phoenix and get some dough. Not much, but more than we got now. Well, it don't make sense to me. The way you've been acting lately makes me wonder about you anyhow. You've been so darn thoughtful all the time. You look like you're miles away, just thinking about something. Hey, what's going into you anyhow? I've been thinking about California, Chuck. I want to get out of this stinking desert and go to California. That's what I've been thinking about. Well, what's holding you? Why don't you go and get it over with? I didn't know how until just today, Chuck. I couldn't figure out how to get there. 
But I figured it all out. Yeah? How? You're going to help me, Chuck. I'm going to? How? You don't know? You haven't any idea what I mean? Huh? Hey, now you're looking funny again. Hey, what's the matter with you anyway, Chuck? Nothing's the matter with me, Chuck. I'm just thinking about California and how you're going to help me. Hey. Hey, friend. Hey, stop staring at me, will you? Hey, you look terrible. Do I, Chuck? Hey, stop staring at me, Ben. Ben. Hey, what are you doing with that wrench? I know. I know. You think you can kill me and take my car, huh? That's what you're thinking. I, I can see it in your eyes. Hey, Ben. Ben, don't. Don't hit me with that wrench. Ben, for the love of God, don't. That's what I mean, Chuck. That's how you're going to help me. But you got to be dead before I can go. You got to be dead. Now. Now I can go to California. And you can stay here where you won't never worry no. And that is the same man who sits here in this courtroom today and says he is a victim of an attack on his life, who claims his actions were self-defense. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't let this heinous murderer go free. It would be too ghastly to think of him roaming loose to kill again when the mood came upon him. I say you must make a decision, and that decision must be guilty of first-degree murder. The state rests his case. <laughs> The attorney for defense prepared to make his plea. I should like to ask for a brief recess, Your Honor. The request granted. Court recesses for one hour. Court is now in session. Is the counsel for the defense ready now? I am, Your Honor. Then you may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. A little while ago, you heard my worthy colleague, Mr. Wilmer, tell you in many graphic and dramatic words exactly how he thought this so-called murder was done. You may notice that I use the word thought. I do that because there has been no definite proof offered in this court at any time since this trial began that the defendant was guilty of murder. You have seen only one side of the picture, the one shown you by the prosecutor. I feel that you have a right to see the other side. I know that when you do, you will realize that the defendant did no more than you or I might have done under the same circumstances, protected his life when it was threatened. I'm going to ask you to go with me to that same clearing that you were told about a while ago. And as our eyes focus on the scene, we find the same two men. To me, coming away out here for a couple of parts from an old tractor. Now, don't be so darned impatient, Chuck. We can sell this stuff in Phoenix and get some dough. Not much, but more than we got now. Yeah, and so what? I'm getting sick of this place. All we've been doing is going from place to place trying to find work. And when we do get it, what have we got anyhow? Nothing. Hey, listen. Why don't you fall in with me on that deal, Ben? Listen, Chuck. I wish you'd stop talking about it, because I won't go. And what's more, if you pull anything like that, I'll tell who did it. Your what? You heard me. I said I'd tell who did it. I'm not going to have you living with me and the wife and kids and going around robbing places, see? Why, you yell at Don't Chuck say it, Chuck. You're only getting sore over something that you know I'm right about. Ah, you ought to smack you one. And what's more, I think I will. Now, listen, Chuck. Don't be ah, silly. shut up, you liver-bellied stool pigeon. I'll teach you to make wise cracks. Put that file down, Chuck, and stop acting like a lunatic. I wanted to slap you many times, Ben. And now I'm going to right now. And there's no use whining about Chuck, it. Chuck, stop it. I'll let you have it with this wrench if you come any closer. Are you dirty rat, you... I didn't want it, Chuck. 
I didn't want it. Chuck! Water. Gotta get some water for him. And there you see what actually happened. Not murder, but self-defense. And what was the first thing Knight did? He tried the revive call. He ran and got water and threw it on him. But it was too late. I ask you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I ask you to believe me when I say that the defendant, Ben Knight, is an innocent man and deserves justice. And one thing more before I close. Remember this. Chuck Cobb, the victim, was an ex-convict. Two times before, he'd been confined in San Quentin Penitentiary for a robbery and assault. Now, all I ask is that when you come out of that room in there, you bring a fair verdict back with you. The only fair verdict there can be in this case. Not guilty. Is the prosecution, Mr. Rebuttal? Just a very short one, Your Honor. And I should like it now with no recess. Very well, you may proceed. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to bore you with any long speech. You've read enough speeches for one day. I merely wish to point out one rather gaping discrepancy in Mr. Fellow's story. A discrepancy that is as damning as though the murdered man were in this court himself to point an avenging finger at his murder. If you will think carefully, you will remember that at the time of the actual killing, or assault, the way Counselor for Defense told it, Chuck Cobb was walking slowly towards the defendant, facing him. And Mr. Fellows went on to say that he raised the file he held in his hand and made a motion toward Knight. Now, I want to know just this. If Chuck Cobb was facing Ben Knight when he was hit with the wrench, how does it happen that the doctor who examined the body found that the back of the skull had been crushed and that there were no wounds on the front? It would have been utterly impossible for Ben Knight to hit the victim in the back of the head if he was facing him. That is all, ladies and gentlemen, the state rest. <laughs> Of the court read it, please. We, the jury, after carefully considering the facts in this case, find Benjamin Knight guilty of murder in the first degree. Benjamin Knight, you have been found guilty of murder in the first degree. Therefore, it is the sentence of this court that you be executed in the lethal gas chamber at Florence Penitentiary on a date which will be set later by this court. May God have mercy on your soul. Let us remind you again that the police officers involved in this case, both in Arizona and California, drive cars powered exclusively with Rio Grande cracked gasoline, the gasoline that is specified by the leading cities and counties of the West because it is proved to be the most economical gasoline money can buy. You have often driven past a Rio Grande station near you. Next time, won't you drive in, please, and get acquainted with our services. Ask for your free copy of the Calling All Cars News and read about these crimes you hear on the air. Ask about the 14 free gifts a complete detective outfit that Rio Grande offers free of charge to every boy and girl. Of course, you'll try a tank full of tetraethyl-treated Rio Grande cracked gasoline. Now, there's just one thing more. We pride ourselves that Sinclair motor oil, featured at all Rio Grande stations, has not yet been equaled. You hear a lot about new motor oils with new features, but you'll find all these features and more in Sinclair motor oils. Prices start at 25 cents a quart in sealed cans, and we guarantee that your car will be perfectly lubricated with Sinclair oil in the crankcase.
This is your narrator, Frederick Lindsley, bidding you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.